Welcome to episode number 209 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is none other than Phil Clayton. And Phil was a professional Ironman, surf Ironman competitor from 1992 to 2004. And in 2000, he won the World Ironman Championships. He's also got a lot of experience as a surf Ironman coach and as a swim coach. So he was head coach at Kara Surf Club up on the Gold Coast in 2006 to 2013. And also coach at Burley Head Surf Club from 2018 to 2020. And I had a really good chat with Phil. His main thing is helping people get comfortable, get experience and become better ocean or open water swimmers. And uh, Phil and I met a year or two ago now and um, love his philosophy, really enjoy his outgoing and vibrant personality. And I think he's a real asset to the swim community, particularly those that he coaches and trains up on the Gold Coast. So before we get into the episode, I just want to uh, go through a little bit of housekeeping stuff. I've had a lot going on in the last couple of months uh, since pools have opened. So there's a few new things that we've got coming out, which I'm really excited about. So last week, I just finished recording our beginner freestyle course. So if you struggle to swim 400 meters without stopping, this is going to be for you. So our beginner freestyle course will be available in probably the next week or two. And it's going to take you through the basics like breathing and floating, finding your balance, kicking, all the way to you swimming your first 400 continuous without stopping. So if you are listening to this and you're finding things are quite difficult at the moment, you can't do 25 or 50 meters, then uh, that's why I created this course. So uh, I might let you know once that's available and it won't be too far away. The other thing that we've got coming up, and I've mentioned this a number of years ago, so probably three three years ago when we first started on it, uh, we have got our swim paddle that uh, that we've designed not too far away from being released. So we are going to launch it on Kickstarter in order to, um, to sort of start that business. And uh, currently we're just sort of filming some of the videos for it, the promotional videos that we're going to use on Kickstarter. And it's a, um, I'm really excited about this. It's been a long time coming, but we're finally at that stage where we've got everything lined up in order to produce the paddle. And now we're just getting ready to uh, start the Kickstarter. So I'll be dropping some videos here and there once we start to get some footage of it. But um, this, is, this is essentially designed to help you improve your catch. So obviously that's the most important part of your stroke for most people. And uh, it's designed to move your hands through, through the catch motion into the right position to get a good high elbow catch. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice design. Um, it looks good and feels really comfortable. So I can't wait to, uh, to launch that. That'll be another probably few months away, but um, we're getting to the final stages of that now. And then the, the last thing is our eight-week faster freestyle course. You might've heard me mention that before. Uh, that's now available as an individual course if you'd like to go through that. And that's designed for people who want to find extra speed in their stroke and become a bit more efficient. So I put this eight-week course together to have some structure around developing each part of the stroke. So essentially each week, you'll focus on a different thing and there's a suggested warm-up and drills to do to develop your better breathing or body position, whatever it might be for that week. And then there's three workouts a week as well if you'd like to go through those. But with this kind of structure, it's gonna help incorporate some of these things into your stroke. So if you've ever felt confused by what to focus on and if you're someone who likes structure, then this is the way to go. And it works whether you are training by yourself or swimming with a the squad, there's ways that you can incorporate this stuff into either sort of program that you're doing. So that's enough on uh, what we've got coming up. 
I just wanted to let you know because I'm excited about some of these final things that have uh, that have come together. And uh, let's get into the podcast with Phil. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Phil Clayton. G'day, Phil. Yeah, really. Thanks, Brenton. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to get you on the podcast because uh, we met. I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago. It goes very quickly. But um, you're you're a professional swim coach, and you work primarily with people in the ocean. And your your background is as a surf Ironman athlete. Um, very a uh, lot of achievements in in that area, and also as a as a surf Ironman coach, and and now a lot of swimming. And one of the things that I come across with the athletes that I coach is transferring that speed from the pool into the open water is a is a different story sometimes so i thought you would be a great guest to get on and to talk about uh how people can go about that so just for the listeners what's um what's your uh, background in surf ironman and then swimming um it's quite long i started in wollongong under rick and ron mckeon um i swam with them for quite a few years i then moved into professional ironman series um the uncle toby's and the kellogg's um, and moved to the Gold Coast and then started training under Dennis Cottrell, who was my last swim coach there for most of the years. Um, from that, I competed as a professional athlete for about 15 years and then moved into the industry of surf coaching. I was head coach at Currawa Surf Club and just recently finished as head coach at uh, Burleyheads Surf Club. From that, I realized when, uh, when COVID started that there was a great market for people that actually wanted to jump out and, um, and try open water swimming um, when all the pools were shut, a really close friend of mine, Ty Dowker, runs the Australia Day Ocean, um, um, Australia Day Run Swim event up here in the Gold Coast. And he had just a little group that was doing um, more early morning training and we combined and we worked together and um, it took off like a rocket. So my business has gone from zero to hero. And at the moment, we've got about six different sections. It ranges from teaching people how to conquer their fear about getting in the ocean um, how to actually read the ocean. Then I do um, swimming in the creek. Then we do swim escapes where we just got back from Hamilton Island with 30 people where we, we swim at different locations. And then this Monday um, coming, I start my new adult learn to swim in Talavadra Creek, which is, I didn't realize there's so many people out there, one that are afraid of the ocean, uh, two that want to conquer their fear and, and jump in it, but three um, have never really been taught how to swim. And there's only real, really pools that are available to teach people the basics. So my business is growing. We're having a great time doing it. We're learning as we go. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, it's such a, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Like there's, it's very hard to find someone or somewhere to learn how to swim if you're an adult. Like if you're 40 years old and you think, all right, I'm going to get into swimming. Like where do you start? It's It's quite difficult to, to find a good place uh, that can can teach you and, and even teach you the very basics. And as as you and I know, when you're working with people who are brand new, you get some funny questions. Um, one of the questions I got was, "How do you put on a swim cap?" And it's like for, it's inherent knowledge for us, but you know, it, there's just such basic stuff that I wouldn't often consider when you're working with people who have got some experience in the pool. So, um, how how have you found it with the with those real beginners, like changing perhaps from going from the elite competition? to um to back to basics um yeah it's challenging it's very tough because i've come from a field of actually dealing with elite and uh, they know everything they're taught at a very young age it's repetitive as a kid from 10 years of age they swim their whole life so all of a sudden i was dealing with like you say 40 year old adults and we call them free range 
um, when they come down, people, like you said, they put their caps on sideways. They don't even have a clue. And the goggles are facing upside down. The Speedo mark in the middle of the goggles or the Valare mark, it's upside down. They don't even know. And all it is is basic stuff. So I actually keep redefining my sessions more and more and more. And I cut back further and further because to me, what I think is just absolute common knowledge, it, it is hilarious the things that people ask, you know. The most common one for me, obviously, we swim in the ocean. Um, I do most of my swimming at Burley Head Surf Club um, out the front or I do it in Talabudgera Creek. And uh, I actually get people coming up to me asking me before their first sessions what I'm doing about the sharks, how I'm taking care of the sharks. And uh, we've got one lady that swims with three shark bands, so one on each ankle and one on a wrist. And uh, she's still with us, so they obviously work. But for me, for me, it's cutting it back. It's, and we've got a, a lady in our group, Sonia, who she actually identifies the little things to me that mean nothing as gold nuggets. And uh, every session I hopefully give out one, two or three gold nuggets that they can take away and put it in their toolbox and, uh, and use it every time they swim. Yeah, it's um, it, and often and that's what I've found in the last like six or seven years that I've been running clinics, the, the simplest possible version of it is is the best like we started with a heap of content it's like i can't fit everything in and then the more you do it the more you work with people you start to whittle it down until what's really essential and so if they come away with one or two things you know it's that they remember it and then they can build upon it the next for me it's been tough because um as a head coach of a surf club you're not only running the kids you're running the surf club there's so much back end work to do and it's all about structure and preparation so you write your year program you work backwards from the carnivals and uh, with this, you know, I'll have a four-week program written up for my swimmers. Mate, it goes out the door when I get down there and it's and there's this howling <laughs> tide coming in. There's a, a sandbank halfway through the yeah. course. So it's about evolving and learning as you go and you've actually got to play with it. And then the second part of that is the different abilities. So I don't judge. Um, I, I don't care what level of ability you are. I'll let anyone come along. And if you can't swim, well, then I'll ask you to put fins on. Um, I provide paddles and, for different sessions, but... All of a sudden, my session that I've got organised, I have to completely flip because one person's so far behind. I've got to incorporate different things so that everyone can keep up, and it's a, it's actually an enjoyable session. Yeah, that's right. That's one thing I found when we started running our camps in Thailand a, a couple of years ago was we started going open water, and then the first year that we that we did that, or maybe the second year, we weren't prepared for the different levels and the surf, and I was like, all right we have to do a better job at, um, at, at the safety here. And, um, and you know, then now we uh, use, a, use a boat, we've got kayaks out there, we've, we've got the safety sorted uh, because it's hard. You've, you've got a group of pretty quick swimmers, they're out ahead, you've got a middle group, and maybe you've Correct. got two other groups behind it. And you can't just leave them to their own devices. You've got to have that, that support there. And I mean, you've, it looks like you've got quite a few helpers there with you with your like Tully Creek. Safety. Yeah, we do. We um we really promote youth. Um, I'm a big fan of safety coming from Surf Life Saving. I actually worked for Surf Life Saving for some years and helped them formulate their um, shallow water rescue program. Unfortunately, when one of the young kids drowned, um, my job was to go out and find him, and I had to coordinate the whole thing and structure the whole program. Um, from that, it's paramount for me. So incorporating youth with the surf clubs, we actually pay our kids twenty five dollars an hour. They love it. They get cash on the day and um, we usually have four in. So we work off the ratio of eight to one, um, depending on our numbers. And we follow the guidelines of surf life saving and it's really comforting. And we actually get people come from other swim groups that rock up to have a swim and they say, you know, how comforting it is that we're out the back. On the weekend, we actually just swam from Burley Heads right around to Talabudra Creek. So it's a 2K swim. 
Um, we had boys the whole way, but we set out swimming um, our water safety out at all the different cans. So at every point you had someone that was looking after you, taking care of you and, and guiding you as you went. And for people who are nervous and, and scared about it, we're a long way out to sea. Um, we're a good 400 metres off the shore and that really comforts them. So that's one of our biggest is safety. Even when I go away to, um, to Hamilton Island, you know, I pay for a paid lifeguard. So a council lifeguard comes away with me and then another water safety so that we keep that ratio um, eight to one. And it just makes life so much easier for me. And in, in regards to that, the two people that are water safety, um, one's a, a, an athlete that was in the Nutrigrain some years ago and um, the other one is a, a professional swimming coach as well. So they can actually guide and help when they see that someone's struggling or they need stroke correction. Or So it's all about team too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, moving into swimming in the ocean compared to swimming in the pool, from your experience and your own experience and working with swimmers in, in coaching them on that, what are some of those things that you like to teach and focus on when it does come to the open water swimming compared to the pool? Because it's uh, it's a different environment out there. And, you know, the triathletes that I coach, it's, uh, yeah, you know, that they've got to get that experience in the open water else it's just that they're not going to be able to compete as well as they um, would if it was in a pool. Totally. I, um, last year we had the, the British Triathlon Olympic team come out. There was about 20 in the squad uh, before Tokyo, and they did five weeks here, and we based it out of Talabudra, but we swam at all different locations. One of the biggest things for me was that they had no idea about conditions. They didn't know when a rip was coming in. Um, they didn't know about currents. They would never know how to read the actual tides. Obviously, it's a little bit different over there in England, but what the first thing I always try and do is teach people how to read an app. Um, so when you go into a location, you know what the conditions are going to be like. Therefore, you can actually start mentally preparing what you're going to be doing. And then before we do a session this morning, Ty and myself, we stand there and we explain it over and over and over. We don't just do it once. We do it three or four or five times during the session. And we try to get people to read the conditions so they can use it to their advantage. Um, so many times people walk down, they go, oh, look, there's the other side of Tally. I'll swim across. They start to swim within less than 20 strokes. They're nearly under the bridge. They're going straight down the creek or they're going out to sea and it happens so often. So I think education is the first step. Uh, number two is conditions. When you actually get down there, there's such variance from a pool. The pool's so flat, it's so controlled. You can see the bottom. There's no creatures in there. And uh, the next part is with packs. So once you teach them about the safety of the water, um, the chop, the different size of the chop, the way the swell comes, how to use it. It's actually really enlightening for people to, to learn that. Um, then we go into stroke. I mean, everything goes out the door. Um, I came and did your class with you and, and I loved it. I learned so much from it. I still put into practice what you taught me. Um, I'm a big fan on, on upskilling as much as I possibly can because you never know. You never know everything and there's always something new you can learn. But what I find is, is playing around with different strokes, um, different cadence, different tempos, um, how far your arm does go down. I know you're really big on your, your entry with your catch. We try that, but every now and then when there's a, a two-foot chop, you just can't do that. It's, it's almost impossible. So there's so much playing around with it and, and teaching different skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, things like you look at the ocean and it, it can be a, a scary thing, but once you've got the, the knowledge, first of all, you, know, you can use it to your advantage. You look at a, um, you look at a rip, and it's kind of like a, it's like a, a chainsaw. It can be beneficial. It can cut down a tree, or it can chop your arm off. You yeah. know, same thing with a with a with a rip. It can take you out to sea, out where you want to go, or you know, if you're not sure what you're doing, it can um, you know, really be a struggle to to get back in. 
So by knowing that stuff, then you're a lot more relaxed. And that's really the first thing that you need to have when you're out there is just to, to keep cool. And I was reading a, um, an article today about the story that you, that people tell themselves is a big factor in their heart rate. So if you're out in the open water and your story is there's creatures around, there's sharks here, I don't know what's going on. That's the story you're telling yourself, your heart rate's going to be up here. But if you're thinking like, I'm just, I'm just a part of this and I can, you know, I'm enjoying this and you know, look, the sun's out, then you can keep your heart rate down. And it's a very different experience. Have you sort of seen that when people have gone through your, your class? Unbelievably. So one of the biggest things that anyone that watches this, that's ever swam with me, they'll laugh about it because uh, I'm a distractor. So if I'm in the middle of a session and I've got someone that's panicking, they're, they're shallow breathing, they're only breathing into their chest and they're actually not relaxed. I can pick it straight away. Um, first thing I do is I, I ask them the most random questions. So I take their mind off whatever they're thinking about. Um, I'm really big on hours yesterday. I, have you got kids or I just roll on with really random questions. It's amazing within three to four seconds, I can change someone's breathing pattern. I can change the way that they're thinking about the whole session with about 10 seconds. They clue into what I'm doing and they start laughing. The whole group starts laughing and they get really, really comfortable. So. Um, anyone that's watching this will just giggle because I do it to everyone. And it's usually first timers, first or second session. By the third session, they're clued into it and they're, uh, they're pretty wise to it. And uh, they're smart that they know what I'm trying to do. And, and once it works, um, it's a great little technique that, that takes everyone's mind off it and they can think about the job at hand. Mm. And uh, with you mentioned the British triathlon team coming out and, um, and you had some of the surf surf Ironman guys out racing with them and training with them, just teaching them how to get out quickly and um, getting them in that race mode. And that's something that I've seen just make such a difference. If people can get that experience in the open water and get used to swimming in, in tight groups and you know, getting out quickly to the, to the boys or the cans, it's um, like, it just, you need to do that. You can't, you can replicate it a bit in the pool, but it's, you, you got to get out into the, the open water. So what, what did you notice in those triathletes? after a couple of days of, you know, doing that stuff that you were, you were going through? Um, the first session we did, the very first day when they got over, I did a presentation, PowerPoint presentation, explaining the, the week. And then I told them about the very first session. They sort of laughed and giggled at it. But the first thing I noticed with any triathlete, um, nearly all of them, because they don't train in open water and actually do the distance that they race, it's always short. First thing that goes is their shoulders. So most people train in the pool. They tumble turn, their arms get a rest every time they tumble turn. If you throw someone straight into a 750 or, or a 1500 meter swim straight off the bat, it really rattles them. So it's about repetitious. And, and these guys just weren't doing that. They were jumping into a lake and they were doing a quick little sprint. They were never really guiding themselves over the distance that they were racing. Obviously, as a coach, you go over the distance so that you're comfortable doing that, that shorter distance. And our first day, um, I introduced them to Verley, funny story, and Alex Shee that just got second at the Olympics. He actually got really seasick, so um, he was out the back vomiting. Um, he went bright green, and we swam all the way down to North Burley, and the first swim back was a 2K swim, and it was as you feel, and it was very funny to watch what happened. Some people went out on their own. Other people stuck as close as I've ever seen someone stick because they kept looking at the bottom, like we were talking about before, the panic. And uh, we repeated that over and over, and by the end of the five weeks, it was amazing the difference. They were swimming tight-knit. They were really close next to each other. They actually had a plan rather than just jumping in and going as hard as they could for as long as they could. They set out a plan within that actual distance. So they knew that um, Tom Bishop, for instance, he would always stand on the start and let everyone go. 
Um, I couldn't believe it. I was just flabbergasted. And he said, oh, that's my race plan. You know, I want to let them go. And then I work my way back. And I just couldn't believe that. I thought that's just absolutely crazy. So we threw him in the deep end and I'd make him lead and have everyone come over the top of him. And uh, he realized that it actually isn't that bad once you're up in front. Yes, there's argy-bargy, but mm. it was just the different scenarios that they weren't used to. They weren't rep- um, replicating what they raced in. So we did it over and over and over again. And they loved it. We had a great time. One of their favorite sessions, uh, we would put shoes on and swim across Talabudra Creek and then race over the bridge back. But the rules were we had to be touching. So everyone in the group had to be really tight, really close. And it was just about pack swimming and, and learning that fear of actually being in the water and clashing with friends. And when you've got shoes on, you learn really quickly about streamline and then you're actually got to wade. So their end of a triathlete's race getting out of the water. It's amazing how many people swim to the ramp and they stop about a body length before it, their feet drop, then they've got to take another four strokes just to get out of the water. So the little finer things is what we worked on and, and they loved it. We had a great time. Yeah, that's it's interesting about his his race strategy. Like even at that level, it's like I'd give that race strategy to someone who is just looking to survive the swim, mm. you know, their first like first couple of triathlons. But uh, at that level, no, you want to uh, have them, you know, be be at least uh, confident enough to try and get in some sort of pack in the beginning and then um, build from there. It's um, one of the things I noticed. So I did a triathlon a couple of years ago, and my wife was just sort of filming the exit of the the swim, and it was. Like I saw people walking or waiting for 50, 60 meters, at, like, cause it was pretty shallow at St. Kilda. And um, once they could roughly see the bottom, they'd just walk in. Same thing. If you, if you can just keep, keep swimming in until you can like almost touch the bottom, then you can porpoise and, and dolphin dive. Um, but you're right. It's all these little things that you can save so much time. And one of the things that I told my athletes is like, you do, put in so much effort so much time in trying to get your 100 100 pace down one or two or three Mm -hmm. seconds but there's these other little things that might save you a minute in a race it's like you know siding swimming straight that kind of thing uh there's all these things that uh that we sometimes forget to factor you're you're gonna laugh at this i've just had a new client come over from a um a triathlon company um he has joined from brisbane he drives down wonderful guy um is loving what we're doing Anyway, he's been doing triathlon for some years and his approach to the swim was he just hated the swim. It wasn't a good part of it. Could run well, could cycle well, but just didn't enjoy it. So he's been with us for about five weeks now. He had, this is the greatest PB in history and I'm not bragging, but he had a 45-minute PB. So 45 minutes. So his normal um, triathlon race was just the gun would go bang. He'd let everyone go. He'd walk in. He'd just dawdle behind them keep his head up majority of the way. He'd only take about 10 or 15 strokes with his head down because he was so scared of what was under the water. Um, his last race that he did was a 45-minute PB. So I got a six-pack of beer out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think you deserve the yeah. slap. That's, uh, wow, that's awesome. Uh, and, and so for him, uh, it was just getting comfortable. Yeah, he's, he was afraid of the ocean. A lot of people um, think that there's massive creatures underneath them that are going to come up and grab them. Uh, they've got this mentality of, watching social media and there's all these different sharks and there's crocodiles, there's stingers, there's, you know, Australia's got all of these amazing animals that can come out and bite you and grab you. They think about it 24-7. Like I have people literally just before it standing there putting their goggles on and their hands are shaking as they're putting their goggles on before they get in the water. I ask them the first thing, what are they thinking about? And they go, sharks. That's the first thing they say. So we don't, we don't say the word sharks in our group. It's marine creatures. So that's what we try and promote so that no one actually says the word. I know it's, it's a little bit simple, but it really works. And we try and keep their, their, their minds off that. 
Uh, when he went into the race, he hated um, confrontation. So he didn't want to touch people. He didn't want to be near people. And he found that not only that, he was breathing every four strokes. Now, he's put his head in, hold his breath for four strokes. Within three cycles, he was cooked. He'd have to stop and do breaststroke. So okay. I, it's amazing how many people don't even discuss that with their swimming coach, their pool coach, how they're going to swim, whether it's a two-stroke rotation or four-stroke, whatever it is. But, I mean, there's so many little parts to the swimming facet that you can fix a swim leg up and make up massive grounds, whereas on the bike you, you're only going to get, like you said, a, a smaller chunk of reward for your, your investment. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Form Goggles. Form combines the world's smartest goggles, real-time metrics, and guided workouts to make swimming fun. It's the game-changing membership that's redefining swimming. Form Smart Swim Goggles feature a transparent display that shows your time, distance, and pace as you swim. And with the monthly or annual memberships, you get a huge library of guided workouts that give you workout instructions and tips as you swim for an incredible workout. The form goggles are very much like what a Garmin does, but it's right in your goggles. So that display of time, pace, and distance is something that I really love. So for the majority of the workouts that I do, I'll wear my form goggles because that way I can hit the exact speed and pace that I want to hit. So every time I do a turn, it'll tell me what my speed was for that turn and it will tell me my cumulative time. So if we've ever got any sets that we need to hit a certain pace or we need to progressively get quicker, then I know exactly whether I'm on track or falling behind. So that's one of the main reasons that I love the form goggles and use them nearly every swim that I do. I have a lot of clients as well that use these in the open water to tell them what their pace is because it can be a really hard thing to gauge when you go open water, but the form swim goggles will tell you what your pace is when you're swimming open water, which is a really beneficial thing to do, especially if you find it difficult to not go out too fast or to sustain the same speed across a 1K or 2K swim. The other thing I really like about the form goggles is that the form swim app, it breaks down everything about your session. So for a lot of sessions, I'll look back and see what was my stroke rate? What was my stroke count for certain parts of the main set? And with that feedback, you can see your progression over time. So as you get fitter, as your technique improves, you can see those things getting better. So I really like to have a detailed analysis of each swim that I'm doing especially as we can see those improvements. And this Black Friday, you can get a free pair of Form Smart Swim goggles when you sign up for an annual membership or when you give it as a gift. But act fast because the offer expires November 29th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So visit formswim.com to purchase today. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, my my in-laws, my, yeah, my in-laws, they are, uh, all like I, I surf, I try and surf every day. Um, and so every time they ask about the surf, it's like talking about sharks. And I'm like, I don't think about it. Like it's, I've seen, I'm pretty sure I've seen mm. one in my 15 years of surfing, um, but that's it. And like, yeah, sure. They're going to be out there, but um, it, you just don't, you don't consider it uh, because like it just, it, you, you'd be so unlucky for it to happen. Um, but I, I get it. Like people, they, you see the news and like maybe the one or two attacks mm. a year, um, it stays in their mind, but it's, um, it's something to just, you don't really need to think about. And then what you mentioned with the breathing cycles, I ha I've got a guy I'm working with at the moment and uh, he said, I'm like, I'm still getting really tired after 50 meters. And what we found was he's, he's breathing, uh, what was it? Seven. Oh my gosh. So breathing every That's seven strokes, crazy. seven five and then a four and it's like man i'd be tired yeah, too phenomenal, um it? so it's like all right let's just start with two so let's just let's just get comfortable yep. doing that 
and uh, it's going to be much easier. And so, yeah, that's, it makes a big difference. Just some of those simple things that it's easy to forget about. Yeah, we um, going back to the Sharks, a funny one, um, and they'll probably listen to this and have a laugh about it, but I work with Swimming Queensland. Um, Swimming Queensland asked me to put on events where I teach their young open water swimmers. Um, I get Kai Hurst along and we work together with the young kids coming through and it's all about pathways for the future. And uh, then they won't allow me to hold the session on the western side of the Talabudra Bridge. They've heard of someone from the officers said that there's sharks on the other side, so we're not allowed to go over there. I mean, I swim there every day. It's just comical. And I, yeah, I just nod my head and I go, yeah, sure, no worries. We'll keep to the other side. So there's so many people out there with these crazy <laughs> theories about where the sharks are and where they aren't. But um, getting back to that, that breathing cycle, yeah, we, um, I deal with two things. You know, I do a lot of breath control too. Um, I do a lot of um, hypoxic where we, we teach people how long they can actually hold their breath for until they pop. And we do it in a really control where it's standing up. So if they, they do pop, they just got to put their feet down. But it's funny, people think they could only hold their breath for, you know, five or six. They end up holding it for 18, 20. Some people can get up to 30. Um, and then it makes them realize that, you know, they've got a great lung capacity. There's no reason why they can't recycle their air faster and keep that going so they don't puff out. And it works, it works absolute wonders. And they love doing it and they realize that holding their breath for four and four, six or eight is just absolutely crazy, especially if you're in a race because you've got nerves, you've got panic, the adrenaline's rushing through the body and you're just going to, you're going to pop really quick. Such a common thing that I get from people is uh, like, I'm, I'm even I'm breathing every three and it's just like, I'm getting pretty tired. It's like, and, and they're breathing every three because they're, they're told bilaterals the way to go and it's a skill you can we have, can we discuss this i'd like i'd like to find out if you being the swim coach let's talk about it because a lot of my guys have the same issue um me personally i worked with dennis cottrell for years and he tried to do a little bit of bilateral with me but he realized very early on that i just couldn't do it i felt really uncomfortable my left hand side every time i breathe it, it's sore on my neck i'm really comfortable with my right so i've stuck with that my whole career i pass on the same knowledge that dennis taught me what's your your thoughts on that uh, yeah, so mine, it's, it's essentially, I, I want people to be able mm -hmm. to do it, uh, but then just go with whatever works best for you. That's it. Like you might need it perhaps if it's choppy on one side and you need to turn to the, the other side. Um, and if you are comfortable with it, then do a little bit of bilateral. I, me personally, I'm normally like 30% to my non-preferred side during training, 70% to the yeah. other. Uh, but I'll just I'll mix up my breathing pattern depending on the the speed. But when I'm racing, it's all. But that's in a controlled pool, time. isn't it? Yeah, in a pool. But like, yeah, when I'm racing in yep. the open water, it's only to yep. the left every two. There you go. Me. I'm exactly the same. Um, I'm to the right so, every two for me. I'm exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Like it's it, it's just some of those like um, those like phrases or you know, things that people that just get ingrained and people think it has to be that way but it's it's just not the um, case. they call them craig riddington you just have one arm bigger than the other the clock and uh people think that's what's going to happen you know the fact that you're only breathing one side you're going to build up stronger on one side it's irrelevant to that it's it's not going to come into play so great to yeah. hear that you're exactly the same as me i was listening to carl chalmers uh on brett hawk's podcast recently and just after he broke the 100 freestyle short course world record and he breathed pretty much the whole hundred he breathed every two um there might have been the occasional four in there perhaps off the start or something but um he breathed every two and he was saying that he'd spoke with his coach about it and he felt like he just couldn't get the same mm -hmm. length 
when he was breathing a four. So for him, that that breath actually helped Blood. him just get a little, little bit more length in the stroke. And and I think perhaps just finding a more consistent rhythm. And so they, that's for a hundred, you know, where he could could breathe every four strokes the first fifty, and then maybe come back to twos. But um, there you go. At, at even the top speed, uh, breathe a two cycles faster for for yeah. him, which I found quite interesting. Yeah, it's a crazy area. We've got a lady in our group called Sue Jaw. She's going to laugh at this. So only last week I pulled her up on our short sprints. We just did forty strokes hard out, um, recover back. Thirty strokes hard out, recover back. It was all about getting the heart rate up. She was holding her breath for eight. Now you imagine holding your breath for eight and you're doing forty. And she just popped her head up and she said, this is the hardest thing in the world. I said, the reason it's so hard is because you're holding your breath. I said, relax. She couldn't believe it. It changed her whole outlook on it. And she absolutely loved the session, which was really cool. That's awesome. We were doing some breath control this morning and it was, uh, it was 150 meters after some sprints and it was going 50 breathing, three, five, seven. And I was, I was going five, five, yep. seven, but I was done uh, cool. after that 150 holding yeah. every seven, like I just yeah. made it. Um, because my heart rate was up. And if I'm going easy and I've got rest in between, I can go go longer than that. But um, yeah, it just goes to show if there's any sort of effort in there, get get the air in. That's the, the, one, one. the one thing I love about that set you're talking about there is what it does is it takes you away from all of the biomechanics of swimming. The reason being is that when I try and teach people swimming, there is so much to flood them with. It's crazy. So keep it simple, mm. um, keep it streamlined. But when we do that is they are concentrating so hard on their breath that they forget about everything. There's no worries about the creatures. There's no worries about anything because they're so worked up about holding their breath. I love it. I'm a big fan of the 357. It's a cracker. Yeah, yeah, it's good, mm. isn't it? And uh, and so you just came back from Hamilton Island, as you, you mentioned, with a swim escape there. What uh, I think of the, the camps I've done overseas, a little bit different to yours. We sort of focus a bit more on the technical side of things in terms of their stroke. Um, and we still do some open water swims and things like that, but it's um, but you're doing the more of this swim escape where you're getting a big group of people together, taking them on open water swims every day, and um, and really getting like people to form new friendships Correct. and just have a, a good weekend, a good week away. Can you talk about some of the things that uh, you think are really like working well with that, and and what you're finding people are getting? Yeah, um, at the moment, um, my biggest clientele is middle-aged mums. Um, I didn't realize how big an industry there is of mothers where the kids have just left home, uh, the husband's the, the main source of income. They're basically sitting there twiddling their thumbs and they're no longer um, looking after the kids and they're looking for a new avenue. They're looking for something in life that's going to give them a bit of an enjoyment, a bit of a thrill. And not only that, um, their life's been so engrossed with their kids that they've, they've lost a lot of friends, um, not so much lost, but they've just let them pass. So once I started this business, I couldn't believe how many mums are out there. And my group's 90% full of uh, middle-aged mums. And what I try to do is I try to bring people together. Um, and when they come together, we call it the like-minded community and the tribe. And we basically don't work on technique. So I give simple little pointers, um, stroke correction, breathing, the basics of kicking. But I'm not there to turn them into Olympic swimmers. I'm there to create a community where people absolutely love it and they have a great time. So for instance, our trip away to Hamilton Island, we did two this year. Our first one, which was June, we took 60 people up there. Um, that was a four day um, budget trip where we swam everything out the front of Hamilton Island. And every day, our job as a coach was to not mingle with them during the day, but only swim with them at, at the group so that they actually, I'm a bit of a, a larrikin, a bit of a, a, a clown, and I like to have fun. So once I step back, they all start to form their relationships and become friends. 
from that group of 60 in June, um, we had about uh, six or seven re-signed for November. They loved it that much. Um, this one was a deluxe swim. So we went up there and the first day we went out on an 82-foot Sunseeker yacht, um, the same yacht that George Clooney booked the day after us. Um, it was a pretty cool little thing to throw in there. But we swam over it. We were meant to swim at Whitehaven. The weather was really bad, so they took us to Chance Bay and we, um, we swam four kilometres along this amazing backdrop cliff. And my rule as a coach is that we shouldn't swim anything further than four or 500 metres at any time. One, because I want the tailenders to catch up. I, I openly offered um, fins to anyone and out of our group of 30, there would have been probably 15 that took fins just because they wanted to enjoy it. On the swim, we see turtles, we see fish, we saw coral, we see absolutely everything. Um, we have a jet ski that follows us the whole time. Um, Steve, our, our water safety, he's at the back with a rescue tube as well. I swim around the group the whole time, so I lead with my green bubble and play around and have a chat with everyone. Um, after that, we go back to the boat and have lunch on the boat. Um, the following day, we actually swam down Hills Inlet. So if anyone's seen Whitehaven, we actually swam down the river. Um, we got right on the inside and the boat comes right in and picks us up on the inside, which is... I've been wanting to do it for years and just never had the opportunity. And to be able to do that, it's just phenomenal. The, the water quality, the way that the tide moves in, there's no one around. You're, you're at your own place there because everyone stays up at the front. So we had the whole creek to ourselves and it was, it was a phenomenal, life-changing swim. Um, what I also try to do is I finish a lot of my swims off with a race. So once we finish the two days of hard swimming, we then back it off and we do real simple sessions off the front of Cat's Eye Beach. And we make it fun. Um, a couple of relays if we need to. We looked at turtles. It's amazing how many turtles are at Hamilton Island. And then the Sunday is the Hamilton Island Ocean Swim. Uh, for me, as a coach and training people that are, first off, they're afraid of the ocean. Number two, they think they can't swim. And the fact that they actually get there and they either do the 750 or the 2K race, it's a really invigorating moment for me. Um, I jumped in and actually had a swim. My son was um, in it as well. So it's the first time I raced my son. Um, he actually won the Open. He won the overall thing, which was pretty exciting for me. And uh, I got a, I saw that, yeah. I got a bit awesome. emotional. I, I got a bit teary towards the end. My wife was there screaming and I crossed the line. And he's, he's got the one finger up. I couldn't believe it. So, <laughs> But for me, more than anything, I had two or three ladies that didn't want to enter the race. And I said, look, you don't have to enter the race. It's not, it's not pressured to do it. But I'm confident you love it if you actually did it. I had one lady, Chris, from Tasmania. Um, she did it. And when we started about, um, about eight months ago, she couldn't take six strokes without standing up and stopping. So f from eight months, we got her into the, um, into the seven-week, uh, a 750 swim. And she swam the whole 750 without fins to the beach and stood up and bawled her eyes out. She just couldn't believe it. She's hugging me. I'm hugging her. Everyone's crying. And I'm just about to race. And it was the most emotional race. It was so wonderful to see. So for me, it's about creating a tribe, creating a community. Um, I love learning off you and, and getting different things. But it's not so much about passing that on. It's about having fun. Um, it's about enjoying it and creating memories for life. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I've just found running running um the, the camps that we do, it, it's that community and tribe. Like we have people come back uh, each year, and like you just yeah, you just when you spend that long together and you you go through those sessions and like people. That's what I found in terms of like my swimming friends growing up. Like when you're in there, you're all working hard. Correct. You're all like minded. You you make such different friendships, I think, than you do through you know other things, um, because you've 
you've got that sort of group work work ethic and um, blood, sweat, and tears. The thing, the thing that amazed me is at the end of every single swim. So we swam, I think it was seven times over the the six days that we were there, um, not including the race or the pre-race prep. But at the end of every session, they clap and cheer and they hug each other. Um, If someone's a long way behind on one of the swimming efforts and it takes them a little bit longer to get in, without me even cueing them, they'll turn around and the whole team will start cheering them on and clapping. And when they get in, one or two of the girls will go over and hug them and tell them how great a job they've done. So it's really self-encouraging. And and to sit back and watch um, a little community that you've created do that, it's it's awe-inspiring. Yeah, it's so good. Like... And again, like where else do you get that? Probably not many no. places you know, as, as an adult. You get it with, you get it with kids. They've got their sporting clubs. They've got their school stuff going on. But for adults, you know, we, we're starved for that kind Correct. of recognition and support. Correct. I think, um, I think on top of that is that we're so worried about everyone else. And, and if you're a normal human being, you worry about your kids, you worry about your wife, your husband, whatever it is, you forget about yourself and everyone forgets about themselves. So for my squad, uh, when they turn up, for instance, this morning we ranged, we had about 70 there this morning swimming with Ty and I, and it ranges from nine-year-old kids to we had a 79-year-old lady swimming with us. Now, we split it up into Alpha, Bra- Alpha Bravo Charlie group, and that just goes on your ability. So we don't judge. It doesn't matter what level you are. But to see an individual actually turn up when the hubby's off cycling or the kids are at the pool swimming and they've found their niche, they've found their environment that they want to thrive in, they just love it. And the coffee after it that's meant to take 10 or 15 minutes ends up being a two-hour coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. One, one hour swim, correct. two-hour coffee. That's, that's not yeah, a bad correct. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and I, I saw that a lot over the last 18 months with uh, bay swimmers here in Melbourne. Is It seems like a lot of people started swimming mm. in the bay because pools correct. were closed and, uh, and, and they've formed these really good communities where – I think they've got the you've got the cold water, so a lot of them are going no wetsuit, and so that's a that's a big factor. And but then just they've got their community of like five, ten, fifteen swimmers that um, will swim for half an hour if it's ten degree water, and then uh, catch up. You can have you can have that. Yeah, look, I, I, that's I'm not bragging about ten degree water. <laughs> I don't no go chance. in it. Um, yeah, I think you, you've got it pretty good up there on the go. Yeah, we do. We've got great water. Um, we're very lucky. We've got um, Valare wetsuits up here are based out of Southport and, and they found Ty and I early on in this um, episode and we jumped on board with Valare and it's amazing how many people still wear wetsuits. The water's 21 degrees and they'll still rock up and wear a full steamer just because they're comfortable. But number two is they're really buoyant. So if you're a new swimmer and you're learning, um, you could either wear the shorts or you wear the wetsuit, but a wetsuit actually raises you up out of the water circulates the water in your chest and takes away that chill where you're shaking and thinking about not thinking about your stroke or your breathing and it creates a really controlled environment so that you're having fun while you're doing it so we've been very lucky that Valare came on board and, and helped us out but 10 10 degree water we just we would not do that for the wildest dream i wouldn't be involved with that at all i uh, don't worry not, not not many melburnians do either unless it's desperate times and they've been out of the pool for a while so yeah um, and in terms of what you've got uh, you've got coming up with uh, with the business, what's happening? Um, I just signed on with um, the World Series Swim. Um, I am now going to be running their pre-race swims. Uh, so before Noosa, before Bondi, before I don't know about Portsea. We, we don't think we're going to get down to Portsea. But my goal there is to jump in and actually help people conquer that fear and, and know what they're doing. So at Noosa last year when they ran it, um, I took 50 people up there for a swim escape and 
it was really obvious my group when I told them where to go in, um, how to turn the buoy, uh, what to sight. It was obvious that my group was really having a great run and a great line in the water. So had a chat with them. They've let me come on board. So I run two sessions before each one of those, a nine o'clock and a four o'clock session. And I talk about tactics, um, what to eat, how to mentally prepare for it, um, when the race starts, how to identify which way the water is moving and how to actually do a race where you enjoy it rather than being nervous walking down there. So that's one of the first ones. Um, second is that we're not far from the borders opening internationally. So I'm going to actually take this uh, internationally. We're going to go over to Phuket. We're going to go to the Maldives. We're looking at Hawaii. And then uh, June, it looks like I'm going to be heading over to um, to England to work with the British Triathlon team again. Uh, they've just signed me up for three years, which is pretty exciting times. But on the home front, um, we've got a lot going on. I'm, I'm really excited. We've talked about it on this podcast. The adults out there in Australia uh, that don't have the opportunity to jump in and an adult learn to swim session where it's not pool driven, and it's more about fun and community. I start that on Monday. Um, I've got Miranda Goodwin, who's a, a Nutri-Grown Iron Woman. She's working alongside with me that. So she's a, a qualified learn to swim coach. So we'll be working together with them. And, and I've got to tell you, that's more thrilling than, than coaching an athlete to a title. It's so fun to watch someone's journey from, from where they start to where they end and, and seeing them embrace it and enjoy it along the line. So the business that started off with one or two sessions is now blown out. Uh, my week's out of control and, and every minute's, every minute's chewed up. I'm, I'm actually catching up with uh, at 12 o'clock with Jay Ma from Yoronga Pool in Brisbane. So he sends all of his swimmers down that want to start open water swimming. They have to come and do my safety course, my ocean course before it. So um, I'm catching up with him for lunch at 12. We've got a couple of ideas of different ways to approach it so we can get more people involved with open water swimming and teach them the right way so they have a great time doing it. Fantastic. Well, I love the work that you're doing and uh, it's it's just great to have that that available to people. And um, with coming from your background and experience, uh, I couldn't think of anyone better to, to be doing that. So I appreciate you being on the Thank podcast you. and I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. And um, if I ever get up to Queensland one day again, uh, hopefully next year. Yeah, certainly up. would. I'd love to jump in and do the course again. You know, upskilling is a massive part of coaching. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. I also love what you're doing online and all your videos, um, all your podcasts. Great to jump on and for any coach out there, it's just so easy to watch and listen to the finer little things that you do that make such a difference for anyone swimming. So thanks for having me on. Um, if anyone wants to reach me, they can reach me at philclaytonandco.com. Um, we're open to everyone. We've got a lot of different things on the website and uh, have a scroll through and hopefully I can help out, get out there and help more swimmers get involved with open water swimming. Yeah, thank you. And we'll put those in the show notes. And when, when people see the, the drone shots from Tully Creek and, uh, and some of those shots from Hamilton Island, I don't think you'll need much persuasion <laughs> to get them, get them along. It's, uh, it's awesome. So thanks again, Phil. And uh, yeah, appreciate thanks, the Brent. chat. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.